Hi, I'm John Barron with Boats and Quants. Welcome to our podcast, Business Casual, with my co-hosts Maria Wakvilla and Caroline Diorki Edwards. This podcast is sponsored by the Gies College of Business. Are you thinking about earning your MBA with the fully online IMBA from the University of Illinois Gies College of Business? You can earn your degree on your schedule without ever leaving your home. You'll learn from Gies College of Business's top faculty and build a global network of experienced peers at a cost of just $23,000. It's no wonder the IMBA comes with a 96% student satisfaction rate. Apply by October 6th to start classes in January. Learn more at onlinemba.illinois.edu. Well, today we want to talk about the M7. Now, you might ask, what is the M7? If you are a regular listener to this podcast, you probably know only because you would be in the know. But if you're not, the M7 refers to the Magnificent Seven. It's a group of super elite private business schools in the United States. Each of them recognizes each other as peers, and they're generally considered to have the world's best MBA programs. Now, this is something that's existed for decades. It was originally formed as an informal gathering of the deans, but even to this day, the deans of these uh, M7 schools still meet on a regular basis, as do the admission directors, the career management directors, and even the PR people uh, of the M7 schools, much to the chagrin of other schools that are not included in this M7 construct. So to me, the question is, you know, is this an artificial construct that has no meaning for the applicant and in fact does disservice to the broader array of excellent business schools that are uh, that have, you know, stellar MBA programs? You know, the M7 are obviously Harvard, Stanford and Wharton, MIT, Columbia Chicago Booth and Kellogg School of Management. Every year we do a look at the M7. We we basically examine them on every possible level, level from the cost of the degree at these programs to their admit rates, uh, to their latest rankings. It's a dissection of not only uh, which schools they are, but how they're performing against each other. Now, Caroline, I'm sure will have a very strong reaction to the M7 because after all, it's completely US centric and fails to recognize the global nature of graduate management education. Caroline, am I right? Well, it, it's fine as a uh, reference point, I, gre- I guess, for the US market. But as you say, it, it's a rather myopic perspective of the business school market <laughs> and, and, and the, the best business schools out there. So, look, I mean, these are this is a group of wonderful institutions and things don't change terribly rapid in the, biz- in the, rapid in the business school world. So they were, as you said, you know, top institutions decades ago, and they are still outstanding institutions. And I can understand the benefits for them of networking together and, and sharing information and collaborating and, and, and so on. But from a candidate's perspective, I'm not sure it's terribly, terribly useful, right? I mean, there's there are a lot of other great programs out there that are, you know, in my opinion, some of them as good as these schools, you know, in the US as well as internationally. So internationally, 
INSEAD and London Business School are our peers with this group. And even in the US, schools like Berkeley Haas are, are just as good as, as these schools. So it, it's a, a, a bit of an old fashioned perspective of the market, I think. And, and I'm not sure it's terribly useful for, for an applicant. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think it's misleading because there is an obsession with the M7 when you could very much argue that schools like London Business School, NCOD, Yale School of Management, Dartmouth Tuck School of Business, UC Berkeley High School are every bit as good, if even not better, than some of the M7, certainly. And in many cases, uh, would be better suited for a given applicant, given their own interests and passions. Maria, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think whenever I'm in doubt for anything, I always go to the numbers. Uh, Not that numbers are the whole story, but numbers can tell a lot of the story. And so if you go to look at, for example, the starting salaries for graduates of not just the M7, but the top 10, top 15 programs, there is very little variability. And so what that says to me is that the market, even though applicants themselves may say, oh, it has to be M7 or bust. The market, aka the free market recruiters and employers are valuing people from other programs that are very, 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 very good programs, but not technically in the M7. Employers are valuing those graduates just as much. So when applicants get really all bent out of shape about it, it is an artificial construct. You know, if I if there were like a, a 20% difference in that post-graduation compensation, I would say, well, you know, maybe you should really think about it. But it's it's very little variability. Um, and so I just, I don't know. I, I feel so bad when when I meet someone, you know, just, just, just uh, yesterday I was talking to someone who is an aspiring web designer, web entrepreneur who got into the MMM program at Kellogg. And I know that Kellogg is in the M7. But there are people out there who are like, well, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, and it has to be that. And if it's not that, then I'll be disappointed. But I'm like, the MMM program, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's like a design master, master's in design. Like, that's one of the most amazing programs out there for what this person wants to do. And I was like, even if you were to go to Harvard, you would not get those design classes that you're going to be getting at the Kellogg MMM program. So, I mean, we could talk all day long about all various examples about you know, depending on what your goals are, you know, I, I use this example a lot. If you want to go into the entertainment industry, yeah, you can target the M7, but UCLA or even USC is going to get you in front of those decision makers doing projects, doing internships and getting yourself set up on a career on that career path, for example. So, yeah, I just true. And, and if you want a global education and you want to rub shoulders with people from all over the world, and not token representatives in a U.S. class, you would go to NCIA London Business School or at to say Paris or IESC in uh, Barcelona uh, rather than a U.S. school. Uh, Caroline, that's what drew you to NCIA originally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was already working outside of my home country when I was thinking about applying to business school. And um, I was interested in having an internationally mobile career, and so INSEAD um, was extremely attractive. And and it adds a huge amount to the learning experience to be in a classroom with people from literally all over the world who've worked in so many different industries and careers and from different backgrounds. Um, it adds a lot of richness um, 
to the conversation and and, and to the learning experience. So that's a, a it's a tremendous community, and of, of course that then gives you access to uh, an incredible uh, global alumni network. So wherever I go in the world now, um, I have friends, I have classmates, I have um, you know a, a, a database of alumni that I can reach out to. So that's a, a it's a it's a wonderful asset to have. And going back to what Maria said about compensation levels, not only are the compensation levels not all that different across, let's say, the top 15 schools in the U.S. and some of the European schools, but more importantly, uh, even the acceptance rates in some cases are lower at uh, non-M7 schools than they are at M7 schools. I mean, Berkeley's acceptance rate is extremely low. Uh, lower than Columbia, lower than M, uh, not MIT, lower than Kellogg or Chicago Booth, for example. And that, uh, you know, acceptance rate, while it's not everything, it does suggest how highly selective the school uh, is. And uh, and some of these schools have, you know, when you look at the stats on incoming classes in regards to standardized tests and GPAs, uh, some of these other schools have uh, actually GMAT scores that are uh, in the same ballpark uh, with the M7. It also strikes me that in this day and age, um, the M7 strikes me as an elitist construct uh, that's more or less out of out of tune with today's times. And I know there are schools just below the M7 that are frustrated, unhappy, uh, and I'll use the word pissed off <laughs> uh, that they're excluded from these meetings of admission directors, deans, and other officials of these schools just because of some old-fashioned notion of what the best MBA programs are. I mean, isn't it elitist in a way for seven schools to continue to meet together uh, and I don't even know, I mean, they're supposed to talk about best practices, but but that even, to me, suggests that there can be competitive interest, uh, interests or, or issues that, that evolve in these conversations, like we're going to charge X amount for our tuition this year. We're going up by 8%. Uh, what are you doing? Now, I look, look I, I, I know you guys might be squirrely about that, but I'm being realistic. Maria, can't you imagine that happening? <laughs> I mean, I they'd go to jail, I think, if they did that. So I, I can imagine it Only happening. Only if they were caught. <laughs> in like a fictitious Hollywood version of, of that meeting. I mean, yeah, only if they were caught, I guess. But why would you want to risk going to jail? Like, you know, the, the tuition numbers are pretty public information and the historic increases in tuition is also public information. So I don't really know that there would be like a huge benefit to being like, ha ha, you're going to increase your prices by 2.4%. We were only going to increase ours by 2.2%. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that the benefit is worth is worth the risk. Now, to your question about whether or not it's elitist, I just think it's an interesting sort of artificial construct. Like it just so happens that these seven schools were at the top of their game at a certain point and they decided to get together. It's kind of like when people uh, look at the Ivy League and they think that, yeah, it just so happens that the Ivy League schools often do have a good education. But the Ivy League was never founded as an educational. It was founded as an athletic conference. 
like the big yep. 10. So, so when right. people say like, Oh, it has to be, I have to go to an Ivy league school. It's like, well, yeah, but wow. Like, you know, you could probably get a better education at like the university of Michigan or right, like depending on what you want to do. And so I just feel that these labels, it's just such an interesting human trait, like this need to, you know, even within, you know, if you, you can't, it's not good enough to say I'm going to a top 50 business school or a top 25 business school. Like I'm not even going to a top 10 business school. No, I'm in an M7. And then within the M7, it's like, well, there's Harvard, Stanford, Wharton. And within Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, there's Harvard, Stanford. And within Harvard, Stanford, there's Stanford. And so it's just like, there's like this, this weird psychological uh, need to always be kind of, you know, one upping uh, the eliteness of something. And I don't know what that said. There's some sort of e evolutionary yeah, psychology reason for that. It's true. We're so rank conscious, aren't we? Yeah. But we at the really end of are. the day, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, especially because not to keep going back to career outcomes, but as soon as you get on that job, if you do go to one of those big employers, if you set foot on in Amazon or Microsoft or McKinsey or whatever, like the day you start working, it's all about how well you work and what your output is and what it, no one's going to be like, well, wait a minute. Like you went to Harvard, but you did you did a lousy job, but you went to a school that's ranked higher than this other person who went to Haas. Like no one, no one's going to give you a free pass. Like no. you have to, you, you still have to do the work. So I just I I don't know. It's I understand why from again evolutionary psychology and when we were hunters gatherers whatever. But boy oh boy, there are certain vestiges of uh, of our brains that do not serve us well in the modern world, and I think this is one of them. So bottom line, Caroline, what do you tell your applicants when they tell you, I want I go to an M7 school. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't serve candidates very well because um, it, it it's kind of, you know, they, they're shortchanging themselves if what they're focused on is a specific subset of schools or brand reputation. What they need to do is get to know the schools well and understand, you know, given their background and given what they need to learn and given what they want to do post MBA, which school is going to be the best fit for them and which is the right community. And, you know, you need you need to do a lot more research to understand that than than just um, to, to focus on a short list of schools, as you say, that um, was was formulated years and years ago. So so it, it's a starting point, right? And it's a brand, I guess, right? It's brand positioning, but it, it's important as a candidate, given the amount of time and money that you're going to invest in your MBA to, to really uh, get under the hood of the program and, and understand, um, you know, how you're going to fit in and, and what you're going to get out of it. And that may well not be an M7 school. Really true. The other thing I wanted to talk about is going, what, what about going to an M7 school? So obviously we have Caroline who went to NCIAD, uh, which is often at the top of all the rankings of uh, non-US schools and has uh, also been at the top of all the global uh, schools in a ranking at the FT in the past. And we have Maria from Harvard. I, I wonder if, you know, if there's a disadvantage in actually going to a school like NCIAD or Harvard because it sets expectations. Now, I'm not suggesting that a graduate from this one of these schools cannot meet or exceed those expectations. What I'm suggesting is that sometimes people can have uh, misinformed or misleading expectations of what to anticipate from a Harvard MBA or an NCIAD MBA. 
uh, and could transpose certain attributes uh, like everyone might think, not knowing Maria, that because she has a Harvard MBA and a resume, she must be a sharp-elbowed master of the universe who only went to Harvard because she's interested in making money. Maria, is that you? No. <laughs> <laughs> we know you and we know it's not true. I mean, if it is me, I've certainly made very odd choices in my life. <laughs> I mean, boy, oh boy, I am not very good at, I am not very good at executing on goals. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think, I think there's obviously the stereotype around all elite MBAs. Um, I think Wharton also suffers quite a bit from that, you know, that sort of negative, brand recognition. And yeah, I also think that there is an element of, you know, if, if an employer hires an MBA from a certain school, like, I, again, it's so interesting to me how people tend to obsess with just getting into school as if getting into school is the end of your life. Like you still have a whole life afterwards and you still have to work for 30 more years afterwards. And you still have to, you know, I, it's just, it's so funny to me because if you, if you get into the school and then they hire you and you're not all that good at what you do. You don't really add a lot of insight. People don't like to work with you. It's not going to, it's not going to matter. And in fact, if a, especially like a smaller company hires you, they are going to expect you to like do a whole lot of really impressive stuff all the time. And so, you know, if, if you're like, well, that's not me, but if I can fool the admissions committee into letting me in, that's all I need to do. It's like, well, okay. Even if you manage to do that, like at the end of the day, you're going to go work for someone and you're going to have to, have a lot of positive attributes so it's not just about like getting in it's a what it's a marathon not a sprint it's such an overused term Ugh, i hate it but it's overused for a reason because it's true <laughs> now caroline your husband assures me that your elbows are as sharp as razors is that really true? <laughs> <laughs> well i only sharpen them on him you know <laughs> oh. he gets only special treatment <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think you know there are misconceptions about about people who go to business school, and you know my experience has been very positive of my classmates, of the alumni. It's an incredibly supportive community. So you know I think it's a shame if there are misconceptions about who who those people are. But I think you know employers and and those are the people that count at the end of the day, right? The recruiters they they understand the the value that that uh, MBA graduates bring, and I'm sure that sometimes there are situations when those graduates are a bit too big for their boots, right? And come in thinking that um, because of what they have achieved and and the fact that you know they have graduated from a certain school, that they that their success is assured. I'm sure that does happen, right? Um, and I'm sure they get brought down to earth fairly rapidly in the real world. But, you know, generally, I, I think the schools do a good job of picking students who um, have, you know, the, the, the qualities that they will need to succeed. Right. As Maria said, you know, there, there is no point in getting into a school and the schools are not the schools want to bring people in who are going to you know make the most of the program and be able to succeed where they graduate and make the most of that educational experience. So so they are doing their best pick people who have the qualities that will enable them to succeed. And, you know, hopefully that's not all about sharp elbows. Agreed. <laughs> so there you have it. Yes, the M7 is an elitist artificial construct. 
people are still obsessed with it. They shouldn't be. There are many other schools that are as good or better for you uh, than an M7 school. So I think the advice that Caroline mentioned earlier is the appropriate advice. Uh, and Maria, too, you know, you find the school that's right for you. And it may be uh, it's UCLA or USC because you're 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 focused on the entertainment industry. Or it could even be a school that you wouldn't uh, think of that's not even the top 20 or whatever. Uh, or if you want a global uh, lifestyle and a global professional career, you might be far better off in an NCA to London Business School and HSA Paris and IESA and Barcelona or another European school. It's, it's all about you and what you need to succeed in life and to uh, make make it a meaningful experience, which is something we always say. But I think it's important to remind people who are fixated on the so-called M7. And I'll admit, we feed this obsession with our annual looks at the M7 because we know, yes, people do search on Google for the M7, wondering what it is or how to compare with each other. So we're as guilty as anyone else out there for propagating this notion uh, that there is uh, an M7 that exists and is alive and well. And in true tr truth, it does exist. Uh, these deans are still meeting on a regular basis. and um, But it shouldn't mean a whole lot to you. This is John Byrne with Poets of Quants. I want to thank Caroline and Maria for their thoughts today. And I want to thank our sponsor, Gies College of Business. Are you thinking about earning your MBA? With the fully online IMBA from the University of Illinois' Gies College of Business, you can earn your degree on your schedule without ever leaving your home. You'll learn from Gies College of Business' top faculty and build a global network of experienced peers at a cost of just $23,000. It's no wonder the IMBA comes with a 96% student satisfaction rate. Apply by October 6th to start classes in January. Learn more at onlinemba.illinois.edu. 